right, you know what that sound means. I am Mitch Maley, and this is the Bradenton Times podcast, and we are still in the midst of our election candidate series, and I'm joined today by Mr. Harold Byrd, and uh, Mr. Byrd has been a longtime figure in local politics, a former Bradenton City Councilman, and now he is running for the Manatee County School Board District 2 seat. So a reminder, the school board, this is the first year that the races will only be contested in the district. So it's only if you're living in District 2 will this race come up on your ballot. And they're nonpartisan, and they're conducted in a way that they show up on the August 23rd primary ballot. And there is three candidates in this race. So in all likelihood, unless somebody got a majority of the votes, in which case the race is over, the top two vote getters will then move on to a runoff election on the November ballot. So it's very, very important. And I always try to remind listeners that if you're not the kind of person that typically votes in a primary and just come out for the general, you miss the opportunity to vote on your representation on the school board, which is a big taxing authority. It's the largest employer in the county. It's and it's how we educate our kids. So it's a really important race. And I'd encourage everyone to look into these races and cast an informed ballot, get out there either in early voting, vote by mail, or on August 23rd at your precinct. Thank you for joining us today, Mr. Bird. How are we doing? All right. Good evening, Manatee County. Yeah, you know, so I was uh, a little surprised. I thought you were in full retirement mode after, uh, you know, you made a mayoral run uh, two years ago. You let, gave up your Bradenton City Council seat in order to do that. And I thought, well, there's, there's a great career of service. And if it ended all today, you've got a lot to be proud of. And then I was excited to see that you had filed to run for the school board seat. Can you tell us a little bit about what sure. motivated you to make that move? Well, one of the things, uh, I've always been involved in uh, my family, uh, community service, public service. And um, yes, I did. I thought that... Um, it was a situation we knew we were moving on from city council, uh, and we did take uh, uh, have a run at uh, the mayor of the uh, city of uh, Bradenton, and uh, actually uh, uh, being an African-American male and uh, coming away with uh, uh, 35% of the vote, we really felt good. And um, uh, it's one of those things that uh, my plan was to, uh, we have a real estate license at a consulting firm, and uh, the wife is retired, and uh, we were looking to do that. Uh, but as always, uh, when we're called into action, uh, we try to get with uh, family. Uh, we pray about it, and we make that uh, decision. And so uh, when uh, individuals, they came to me saying, uh, this is the first time uh, for a uh, uh, single-member district uh, for the uh, school board. Uh, I had been involved uh, in the very first when... Uh, County Commission came about, and there was questions then as far as uh, whether to do that uh, city of Bradenton as well as uh, Manatee County School Board, and eventually city of Palmetto did go in that direction. But uh, one of the things is that uh, I think uh, I'm at that point right now where uh, I really feel that uh, it's about uh, the community and uh, the voices that are unheard and having someone has the experience and the education to uh, uh, step in and uh, take that uh, baton and uh, move it forward. So I look at it sort of a, uh, I guess, a bridge to the future. Uh, it's not anything that uh, you'll see me here uh, 15, 20 years from now, uh, but something that can set the pace. I'm used to uh, being in Ward 5 uh, within the city of Bradenton uh, and representing that whole city. So I want to try to take that same thing to uh, the school board for Manatee County. 
Yeah, it certainly changes the dynamics of the race. We were very much in favor of going to the in-district voting uh, because, you know, what you would often have then is it, w- it was fairly typical for a candidate to lose in their district but then win the seat. So they're ostensibly representing a constituency that didn't elect them, which never seemed to make much sense. And it also then made it very difficult sometimes for somebody who was very connected to the community and have close ties to overcome that kind of countywide vote. And it also made it more expensive, uh, much more work to try to campaign, right? Very, very expensive. You look at, um, I know, just look at the numbers within the district, you're you're talking thousands. Yeah. uh, uh, and do. such a broad geographical oh, yeah. area, too. Oh, yeah. Try to and campaign in Lakewood Ranch and, sure, you know, Mayaka sure. and everywhere else. Yeah. So, you know, I, I welcome that. Uh, and uh, at the same time, uh, uh, we have to be mindful that uh, even though uh, we are elected by that district, uh, we have to take into consideration the entire, entire school, community, right, right, right. school district. So, you know, I think I've had experience in that and I, um, uh, in governing. You know, I will govern in such a way that it will be for the entire uh, school district. However, it allows me to concentrate on some of the critical issues that are facing uh, individuals within the urban core, uh, even though I always say whenever I'm uh, speaking to people is that uh, you look at District 2, it's very diverse mm-hmm. uh, in every way. Uh, you talk ma- is it majority Hispanic yet, or is it just it's Hispanics are the... At least the largest minority, but it's getting right. close to being majority exactly. Hispanic, isn't it? Exactly. Trending and toward that. Yeah. And uh, the other thing, you look at the uh, socioeconomic, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, along one of the most challenged sure, districts in the county. Yeah. No and and you're, you're looking along the river. Right. You go all right. the way out to uh, Interstate 75. So you have some uh, affluent areas mm-hmm. uh, that are uh, involved in um, uh, District 2. And I guess so, it's also important to mention that this will be the first time in a in a while, in about a decade, I think, that the districts for the county commission and the school district will they not be the same. Different. Yeah. They are different. Um, uh, we've had, um, since being on the, the campaign trail, uh, uh, people have spoken in favor of one over the other, uh, and my reply has always been, it's a whole lot better if they were the same, Yeah. Uh, because I run across uh, individuals, well, I'm in district uh, school board or county commission, which right, district right. two is it? So, uh, in many ways, uh, it's um, uh, somewhat confusing to the, the voters. And I think there's also a value of having two legislators who are, you know, in different government bodies, but are responsible to the same exact constituency. Correct. I, you know, you I can work together with somebody on the county exactly. commission. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, when you, you look at uh, some areas uh, that are county commission, they're not part of the uh, school board district. Yeah. So... Uh, and then others say that um, the way that the lines were drawn as far as the county, uh, they're not as favorable uh, as uh, the District 2 would be right. to, say, a minority candidate. Correct, yes. So, you know, you, you kind of got to look at things uh, you know, both ways. So I've heard it you know, across the board, but my, my opinion is, is that I wish there could have been a consensus and they've mm-hmm. both been the same. Let me ask you, um, I had the pleasure of meeting your mother. Uh, in fact, we have a mutual friend, uh, Dutch Powers, who passed away years ago, and I met her at the funeral. Uh, both of us actually um, eulogized him. And uh, what a what a strong, powerful woman she was. She, she is, uh, there's a gravity to her when you meet her. 
Um, can you talk a little bit about her background, her involvement in public education in the oh, county? Oh, wow, yeah. Uh, I'll start with my, my father. You didn't know my father. But I did not. I would not be here. Uh, the family wouldn't be here. He started out Lincoln High School. He was an agricultural oh, really? teacher. So, you know, there's some things. Uh, my mother, uh, early on when I was just a toddler, uh, she was uh, uh, at um, Memorial Elementary, mm-hmm. which was right next door to Lincoln years ago. Uh, but uh, moving on in the years, uh, she uh, was uh, represented District 2 on the school board. Uh, at that time, it was at large election, and uh, she followed behind the late uh, Louise Johnson. So, you know, when we look at that, you look at the individuals and going on to uh, uh, Barbara Harvey, you know, there's been, there, we've had some, uh, some great uh, leadership uh, within the District 2 uh, uh, elected position within mm-hmm. the school board. Uh, but uh, she's, um, and, you know, uh, other things uh, as far as uh, her uh, community involvement, uh, education, the foundation, uh, uh, we still have going, and uh, we'd like to, you know, still utilize her. Uh, as a matter of fact, she uh, uh, she lives with me now. She's now uh, getting ready to turn 88 years old. No kidding. Yeah, so she's getting around fine, and uh, actually uh, she's on board uh, with, the, we call it the bird campaign. So, right. Uh, uh, but it, it's it's really sort of uh, exciting, and uh, I wouldn't change anything uh, uh, for you know looking at uh, this particular one. There's no other seat. Uh, uh, the uh, knowing the background, I could run for anything else, and uh, uh, no one could say I was not qualified. Right. So, uh, the school board and looking at uh, uh, the individuals that are represented and being there for the kids and uh, realizing, and we can get into that a little bit later. Some of the uh, issues uh, that are facing a lot of the uh, parents and the, the kids uh, that are within the uh, urban core. Yeah. So we, let, let's, um, let's pivot to some of those issues. We've got, you know, we're coming off a very difficult time with the coronavirus pandemic where, you know, the data is really starting to show the gap that, that widened with lower socioeconomic students that didn't have as much support over that time, particularly during the time when schools were closed, uh, didn't have necessarily a parent at home um, while online learning was happening, sometimes had limited access to be able to get online. You then again have that with that large uh, English as a second language population in the district where sometimes you didn't have a parent or a primary caregiver, if it was a grandparent or whoever, uh, who spoke English. So the, the sort of assists that you can get from you know a better situation where maybe there's a stay-at-home parent that could just you know completely oversee one or two you know children's um, online learning to the point where you have three or four children sometimes in a family with nobody to oversee it, and the the social development part that the component that we were starting to see the way that that impeded people's development, uh, every bit of evidence seems to suggest that that population that lower socioeconomic minority. Uh, primarily minority population is facing the biggest challenges as a result of that. Um, the school district's got a lot of work ahead of it. It would seem, sure. in terms of coming up with a plan to address that, because there, there's just there's going to be gaps in performance, especially at the younger grades, that are going to be very very hard to make up by the time those students graduate. Sure. Would you agree? Sure, I agree. Uh, first thing is, uh, you know, I, I always look at things and uh, it. it you can't start right now. You have to, to make sure a lot of the things you, 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 you 
start with pre-K, and then you go on through the uh, elementary years, and uh, you try to build upon that education up until that point. So it's kind of difficult uh, right now, and especially uh, my heart goes out to uh, the kids that were had to go through uh, the uh, change in uh, the learning environment. Uh, I, uh, I will also say that uh, once I uh, decided I wanted to run, I uh, took on a long-term uh, substitute teaching position at uh, Horizons Academy. Oh, okay. And, Which is uh, the alternative school, yeah, Alternative right? school. And um, one of the things is that uh, at the time, they were primarily uh, you know, learning from uh, pretty much the uh, computers. Chromebooks, and uh, I I looked at that, and I you know I said, well, you know, a lot of this was going on with the online learning, mm-hmm. and uh, there's a there's a difference, and uh, anybody, and I'm you know I I'm a believer in online learning, uh, and um, I think you can you can still get your education that way. However, uh, it's nothing like having that teacher absolutely that's you know in a classroom and teaching that student. So a lot of, we've got a lot of ground we have to make up because of those two years uh, that um, there were changes in that uh, learning environment. And I, you know, I really saw, you know, saw that and um, the, I did the last half of the, the school year. And uh, some other things uh, uh, that uh, I like to address, everything from uh, uh, some getting on, bus, getting up early and getting on buses and coming in and, there's a, there's a difference in that student that gets there, and you can look over the classroom and say, well, you know, this student, you know, they got up maybe an hour, hour and a half ago, and they were driven to school, yeah. or they walked to school, versus the one that, and uh, some of the, you know, getting on buses super early. And not to mention, you still got to ride that same bus home, so you're getting home later. So it's a whole lot of different things that uh, we just got to talk about a lot of those different issues. And, and uh, believe me, and that's why I talk about the approach of the whole school district, because I'm a believer. I came through mm-hmm. the uh, school system here in uh, Manatee County, and I'm a believer in quality education, because if we can have quality education here in the county for all of our kids, all of the kids, uh, it'll make this a better place for everyone. Yeah, and t- to your point on the importance of classroom teaching, you know, the thing that I remind people is just think of, I, I don't know anybody, myself certainly included, that doesn't have a story of some teacher mm-hmm. who touched them in a way that set them on a course towards some sort of success that maybe saw a talent in them that they didn't see in themselves or took a moment to, to help build their confidence and their ability to do things. Sure. Sometimes, you know, I think we'd all agree that as much as you can learn online, and it's one of the great things about modern society and technology is that there's so much information available at your fingertips, there's still just the teaching part itself is, I think, proven to be much more effective when it's delivered in person. But then just those interactions and that influence that a teacher can have on a student, uh, I think it's something we don't value enough in society. And it's something that if we lose touch with, there, there aren't going to be those stories anymore. And that, that, that's integral to a lot of people's success. Yeah, you, you have a lot of people that uh, just feel that that's the technology, that's the way, that's the direction. Uh, and believe me, I, you know, I believe in technology. I think, uh, if anything, it should be an aid to the yes. classroom learning Correct. that we do have. Uh, so, but you have yeah. to have that human connection, oh, yeah, right? Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, the other, other things, I, I think, um, as it comes to the socializing and, mm-hmm. uh, 
you know, a lot of those things, uh, they were not in place during those, uh, that period where they were, you know, learning online at home. Mm -hmm. and, uh, as you mentioned earlier, the uh, support, uh, you know, do you have the same uh, support within all of the households uh, to accomplish that across the district? And the answer is no. Yeah. Let me ask you, when you talk about those challenge populations and challenge schools, you know, one of the things um, uh, we talk on a, on a few podcasts, some of the listeners will be familiar with is when, like, for example, when Lincoln Memorial Academy got retaken by the district, the population of the school now has gone from over 700 very enthusiastic students down to a little over 200. Mm -hmm. The districting seems the, 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 uh, you know, the philosophy seems to be to move a lot of these kids out to these newer schools out East. That's, abetting that that whole crisis that you're talking about about people being on buses for long periods of time um where do you stand on the philosophy of you know trying to get diversity trying to get maybe challenged populations mixed in with more affluent populations and under the guise that you know the the uh they'll lift some of those students or do we have to just simply do a better job of building schools in those communities that are effective okay i, I look at it uh, two different ways. Uh, first thing is, is that um, there needs to be a balance. And uh, I understand uh, all the development that's going on uh, out, you know, the eastern and northeastern uh, areas of the county. Uh, but uh, what we have to do is we try to need to, to make sure there's a balance whereby not only are you busing kids out, you need to have quality schools within the urban core uh, whereby you can take some of those students and also bust them in. Uh, that would be something that uh, in the past has always been sort of a controversial issue. Uh, it's always been something less bus out of the urban core to meet mm -hmm. those numbers, uh, but you never hear much talk about uh, trying to have that, that school of uh, excellence uh, within our urban core, which I see nothing wrong with trying to to, to look at things that way. And I think Lincoln, when it was the academy, did a very good job of showing what was possible in that regard. I don't think I've ever seen a population in that sort of socioeconomic demographic mm -hmm. in which so many students and parents had this feeling of pride and acceptance of, of a school. So let me ask you, what are your feelings on the role of charter schools? I know that this is this one of those issues where it's like a buzzword and so many people retreat to this like, well, I'm a, I'm a Democrat or Republican, so I feel this way about choice and charters. And you know, there's certainly a difference between the, the for-profit charters, especially particularly in other states where there's a lot of horror stories. You know, when you bring the profit motive into education, whether it be you know, higher education, University of Phoenix type places or uh, for-profit charters, you, you often get poor outcomes. However, I also remind people that the idea of a charter, particularly district charters, that's a progressive idea. That came out in the 70s as a way to say, particularly in these large monolithic school districts like we have in Florida, that was a way to say, hey, can we create these kind of labs in which, yeah, it's really hard to move the whole big giant cruise ship at once, but maybe we could just take this little boat and put it out in the in shallow waters and try things and see if we can you know, kind of make jazz a little bit and then apply some of the things that we learn work very well across the district. And that sort of like uh, ability to be fluid that way, I see it as a very big strength, but there seems to be this kind of just uh, deep divide on what a charter school should be. What are your feelings on that? Well, I, you know, first of all, uh, as far as the for-profits, um, my opinion is, is that um, uh, 
I'm not in favor of going that direction. You start looking at uh, the uh, conversion charter schools and uh, district charter schools and uh, uh, feeling the need. Uh, and I've talked about it um, different, um, uh, I guess, uh, meetings uh, on the, the campaign trail. Uh, LMA, as they call it, is a great model. It's a model of what uh, a charter school can be. And uh, my opinion is, is that uh, some kind of way, and I know that uh, if successful, and I'm on the school board, I'm one person, uh, but you can also, you can advocate, advocate certain positions. Uh, I would advocate uh, pushing forward and trying to uh, take all of the positive aspects that we have with uh, Lincoln uh, Memorial Academy, and let's try to redo it. We cannot leave that school sitting there with those few numbers. So it's gonna take the community, it's gonna take the school board, administration, uh, and all of us to work together to say, hey, guess what? You know, this was something, this model worked. Let's try to reciprocate, let's try to redo this. And Let me ask you, you know, one of the things that have been critical about a lot of school board members in the past mm -hmm. is I, I've heard this ethos espoused several times where somebody will say, you know, my job isn't to question the superintendent or the administration. My job is to support them. And that always just really grates on my ears because I, I think, well, why do we have a board then? Like, like they don't really need to be supported. Like, why don't we just, why don't we just select them and not have you vote just to do whatever they want? Like, so what is your philosophy in terms of the role of the board and the idea that in some instances, let's say, for example, like with the Lincoln uh, Academy, regardless of where somebody falls on the, the, the issue itself, I absolutely noticed that there was contentiousness between the administration and the idea of, of conversion charters. And some of it came to, you know, my experience has been governments and leaders of bureaucracies from the federal level to local, they don't like to see their power shrink. They don't like to see their, you know, uh, uh, they're sort of purview, you know, shrink in any way. And they tend to be resistant in anything that can kind of threaten the size and scope of their responsibilities. When things kind of come to a head with things like that, is it the job of the elected representatives to sometimes, if necessary, be contentious with the with the administration? And aren't they the oversight of, of a massive bureaucracy? Yeah, one, one thing uh, I'll say, first of all, uh, we realize, you know, the legislative uh, functions is for a school board policy, budget. Uh, but as I could say uh, over the period of time that I've served on a different board, uh, I have no problem if, if uh, there's anything that I could see. And uh, some people say, oh, Michael, no, no, it's not. It's not. Not if it's handled the way it should be. Uh, I've... Uh, there's a difference between oversight and micromanagement, exactly, right? Exactly, exactly. Uh, and, and, and so... You know, one of the things uh, I've, um, my experience has been uh, trying to uh, present certain arguments. Uh, many people say mine is mainly persuasive argument, but uh, if it gets it done, you know, we try to use whatever tools we have. Uh, but, and that's why I, I always talk about advocating certain positions. Uh, and I will guarantee you that uh, you can get the point across to administration as well as the uh, superintendent. And uh, I've talked this over with uh, my former board member, in-house uh, relative, uh, and I know that there are certain things that uh, statutorily, you know, that you have to 
to look at. But we also know that you have uh, a superintendent that's hired by the board. And I'm sure that if you handle your argument in, uh, uh, in the right manner, you can get across the point that this is the direction or this is the vision that this board has. That, that's going to be something that the next board decides will be the next superintendent. Now, I've always felt as though the Florida model in which, you know, the giant county uh, school district. So I'm, I'm, I've been down here 21 years, but I'm from up north where traditionally it's one high school and it's feeder schools or, or a district and its own board. Um, the idea is supposed to be that you you end up, you know, replicating a lot of costs. You can scale better. You can do all these things if you can do everything from busing to nursing to everything else under one umbrella over these schools. But, you know, kind of the downside to it is that you create this giant monolithic organization. You know, the school district is the largest employer in the county. You know, when you look at the job of a superintendent, I almost feel as though it's like almost impossible. In fact, I argued in a column once that we should maybe look at a model like statutorily where there's two different employees. There's an operations director and an education director and not somebody over them together that that they're only really each accountable to the board because really what you end up having is the primary role of school district educating our kids is an enormous job in itself. So curriculum off on one side, but then in addition to curriculum, you've got basically a giant transportation company, a giant healthcare company, a giant food services company, and on and on and on down the list. Where do you ever find someone that truly has the kind of experience to do that? Uh, that's one of the things that, uh, you know, and um, looking at the situation with the school district, uh, a lot of people, um, uh, i give you an example of when uh, I was looking at uh, running for the seat. Running for, when I was looking at running for the seat, uh, one of the things that uh, people um, asked me, well, educate, it's about a whole lot more. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're sitting on that legislative body, you have to look at all those different things. So you have to bring that certain skill set that will allow you to understand the legalities, the, the business side, the uh, transportation, uh, all these different things, as well as uh, the human resources. It's not just education, even though the primary goal, and that's set forth in Article 9 of the uh, Florida Constitution, we have to educate our kids. So, you know, you, that's the most important thing, but we have to make sure that we take care of the other things. And I, I will uh, agree with you uh, on um, the large, uh, because when I came through, uh, uh, I would tell you that uh, there were only three high schools when I right. when I graduated. Uh, it was uh, Palmetto, Manatee, and South. It was a much simpler operation oh, at that point. It was, yeah. and it's changed a lot. So I can understand uh, the you know your your opinion on that. But I've also seen the other side of the coin. Uh, we have a lot of relatives, and my mother's actually from uh, Little Town. Well, it's not Little, but Gadsden, Alabama, mm. and they are suffering because they have that same type of model. Uh, because uh, it's just, you know, that one high school, bit, and it's, you know, and they're, you know, kind of having some growth issues mm -hmm. because that's the way they have it designed. So, you know, uh, one, of the, one of the things, I, you know, I have to say that uh, anytime you strive to do better, uh, you, you can in, improve a lot of the problems that you have in place. Uh, I always uh, look to the organizational structure, organizational culture, a lot of those things, you can solve some of the issues that you have when you have this big, uh, uh, I guess, 
huge uh, organization or, uh, in this case, a uh, school district. So they can be solved if we just think outside the box and, 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 and try to make things a whole lot better. Uh, but I will say that it's getting to the point where you almost, you have to have that, uh, that um, person that's, you know, great with education and, mm-hmm. and also that other person that's more of a administrative kind of a person uh, and uh, you know because you got so many different things coming together so yeah, it's a tough mix to find it is. and the next thing I'd like to ask you about is when we're looking for a superintendent um, what kind of personality traits and everything and skill sets you know do you think we need to prioritize because one of the things that I think our district covering it now for you know almost 15 years, one of the things I've noticed is, and I think this is, I think this is a problem that is sort of inherent with large organizations, is I would, the most critical thing I would say about our district is that I've seen too often where it feels like the emphasis on promotion in the administration has a lot more to do with loyalty, consolidating power, sometimes elevating mediocrity, in order to sort of send that message of, yeah, you're not really qualified to be that director, but remember who put you there and remember who, you know, you're going to support when it comes. It, it, it seems like it takes a very dynamic leader to say, I want what's best for the organization, the district. I want to excel and I just want to put the best people in place and I'm not worried. I'm not threatened by a highly talented subordinate. Uh, that seems to be a lot to ask. That's tall order of, and uh, one of the things you, you were mentioning from within, uh, I've seen cases where um, even if we do a, a, a nationwide search mm-hmm. and we bring somebody in, a lot of times they'll bring individuals in. Right, right. And it'll be the same. The same thing from different places. <laughs> exactly, <right. laughs> exactly. So you, you, you kind of, uh, you, you really have to look within and try to, you know, uh, make the right choice on that person that's going to, uh, be that uh, person that can, you know, uh, have the skill set to handle the, the educational side of things, uh, uh, understanding of uh, at least the administrative side of things. Uh, and uh, in, in looking at, uh, because there, there are criticisms as far as, uh, you know, some favoritism mm-hmm. within the, uh, the ranks of uh, uh, the school district. Uh, so you have to have uh, someone that's uh, going to put the best person in the place uh, where they can better serve uh, not only uh, the, uh, the district, but the kids and the parents and everybody involved in the school district of uh, Pinanti County. Now, one of the things the district is kind of, uh, you know, front foot forward on right now is the community school model. And I did a story recently on Manatee L and how impressed I was because one thing I noticed early in covering education, uh, I'm a Kiwanis member and we do the Every Child's a Reader program. And because of my flexible schedule, I would always take as many schools as they had left over at the end. And one year I had the pleasure of doing McNeil Elementary and Orange Ridge Bullock when it was still open, back to back. So it's VPK and I'm reading to the students and I would always start with the the question, how many students in know how to read? And then I'd follow up with how many has someone who reads to you every day and then how, you know, at least once a week, whatever the case was. And when I went to McNeil, every hand went up, I know how to read, and somebody reads to me every day. When I went to Orange Ridge Bullock, none of the students knew how to read, and nobody had somebody that read to them every day. When you look at like that imbalance, like that struck me as, wow, how, how would even the best teacher in the world close that gap over the course of 
kindergarten through 12th grade. And it made me really see that a lot of the challenges in these schools aren't really the, you know, we kind of have this thinking of, well, in poor neighborhoods, they don't get as many resources and that's why the schools fail. And then you look at the county model where it's like, no, the resources are way more evenly divided and we're, we're throwing tons of money at it. The problem seems to be that when you have the challenges that come along with lower socioeconomic families, which are things like, you know, more confrontation in the home is more frequent, less likely that you're gonna have two parents in the home, less likely that you're going to have uh, a primary caregiver home without using aftercare and all these different things that are great markers for how a student's gonna do. That's not really something that we could fix just with having a great teacher and money unless we're addressing those issues. And when I went out there and saw things like, hey, you can get counseling as a parent here. You can get family counseling through our health care services. You can have a student not have to miss a whole day because they have a doctor's uh, appointment and one of the parents has to take off work or just try to do it over the lunch break and not bring them back. We could have them you know, just sign out and have someone walk them over. Uh, that seemed to be the first time I saw a model in which they were directly trying to address the actual challenges that are so prevalent in Title I schools. Is that a big part of Manatee's future, in your opinion, especially in, in a district like that? Sure, sure. Uh, I'll, I'll start out with uh, being a, a PK or pastor's kid or preacher's mm -hmm. kid. Uh, one of the things my dad used to always talk about is that whole person, that whole person. How do you, you deal with that whole person? And I kind of look at the community school uh, the same way. And by the way, I... Uh, out of integration, Manatee Elementary was my the school I went to. I started out in uh, uh, segregated Brainhill Elementary, but I went to Manatee Elementary and integration here in the county. Uh, but uh, in, in saying that, uh, the the approach uh, as far as uh, the, taking that whole student and looking at uh, all of the different needs is is great, and it involves uh, public uh, public as well as private uh, uh, organizations uh, in in development. Of and definitely within uh, our urban core, because a, a lot of times what you'll find is that uh, a lot of the, the kids that come there to school, but uh, the support that other kids, uh, say, in other areas of the county may have, uh, they don't necessarily have that. Uh, and so how do, how do we handle that? Uh, so that approach is great. And uh, I'll also say that one of the things, if I'm, uh, correct me if I'm, wrong, but uh, uh, one part of the model at uh, LMA was that they extended the uh, school day. Yeah. yeah. And uh, one of the things uh, I want to look at is for the, how do we attack a lot of these different things? So uh, why not, you know, try to look at those things and to identify a lot of the, uh, the kids, uh, whether it be, you know, other aspects as far as uh, community-based uh, uh, schools, but maybe even looking at some tutorials whereby we can, if they're having some problems as far as reading and so forth, let's try to extend uh, the, the day, you know, so that they can get the, you know, what they're maybe not getting at mm -hmm. home. Uh, I was fortunate enough um, to grow up in, uh, even though I, I tell everybody, I'm East Bradenton, you know, guy that you know, grew up right here and still here. Uh, but um, I had two parents that, uh, yeah, they were, between reading to me and mm -hmm. making me read, <laughs> it's a little bit yeah. of both. But um, but that's an enormous event. Yeah, yeah, sure, it is. And just uh, something that simple. Like we don't sure. think about that all the time. Just something sure. that simple of having two parents sure. in the home, and the idea that somebody's all, always available to kind of stimulate yeah. and to ensure that you're doing the things you're supposed to do. Right. Just, I mean, it puts people on just sure. 
totally different grounds when they start out. And, and even, you know, you look at that, and we, we try to, uh, uh, I know that we can't live in the past, but I always believe in taking some of the positive things mm-hmm. we had in the past and try to see if they can be applied to in today's world, mm-hmm. uh, to make things a lot better, and uh, one of the things I, you know, I, I hate to sound like a, a nerd here, but uh, I used to love summer school, mm-hmm. and you know, around here in Manatee County, you know, it was like, wow, you know, summer school's coming, you know, but we we go through school for a certain amount of months, and then you know, uh, it's uh, nothing, you know, other than the summer camps, and uh, a lot of times uh, you have kids that can't really, you know, afford some of those mm-hmm. things. So, you know, I try to, you know, um, think outside the box and look at some of the things that uh, uh, were positive things of the past and uh, to try to see if there's some way that, you know, there it can be done uh, as we look at uh, the future uh, generations. Another issue that is kind of near and dear to me that I've been uh, working a lot on uh, in recent months is the idea of the impact that cell phones are having on kids. And, you know, one of the things, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Jonathan Haidt, he's a social psychologist. He wrote The Coddling of the American Mind. And in it, he talked about the enormous increase of students, especially adolescents in the the middle school age, reporting high stress and anxiety, high depression levels off the charts compared to what we're used to, particularly in female students, much more so even than males. so there's that part with just the the social ills that come along with it. But then also, I notice with children today how hard it is for them to focus and pay attention, how in-depth they seem to be at having conversations with adults, making eye contact, and just verbally expressing themselves. And it's they're very good at just scrolling on that phone. And when you look and you, you research and you hear the software engineers, everything talk about the way that these things are engineered to manipulate their emotions and, and keep them addicted to this device to farm them for profit. Uh, I, I think it's an enormous issue that overlaps drastically with education because again of that, what it does in terms of rewiring the way their brain works and the reward systems work to make them less likely to be able to be engaged for 45 minutes with, with a block of instruction do we have to, where do you stand on, should there be cell phones in school or should that be something that they're locked away during the school day? And You know, it's, 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 if you'd asked me this uh, a couple of years ago, I'd have a, probably a different answer for you. Uh, but in light of what we're going through as a country right now, it's almost like uh, you don't want to say no cell phones because... Mm-hmm. I hate to bring that up in, in this, uh, you know, as we do this podcast, but, you know, the kids that were calling 911 in Ovalde. You know, right, right. You know, so, but that technical side of me says that, guess what? Why do you need a smartphone? How about a right, dumb right. phone? You know, so, you know, there are ways that you could solve a lot of these different issues. And uh, uh, one thing I, I thought you were going to touch on is uh, my um, – it's, it's sort of um, the experiences I had uh, in the classroom was that, uh, you know, it's kids are involved in that, the phone, the social media side of uh, everything, and they, this, this desire to be liked, to mm-hmm. be liked. And, 
you know, uh, it's it's really it's really something we have to deal with. And uh, uh, I think there's some kind of way that um, and if, if they can do other ways that allow the phone calls, okay, uh, on a, a cell phone. Technology, I, I'm a believer in technology. Uh, and allow the kids to have those phone calls to communicate out. Uh, however, you know, there's a way that you, uh, uh, you could have a, uh, I hate to use a little blocking mechanism in right, place right. that won't allow as much. Doing that, that eight-hour school mm-hmm. you know, uh, time frame. And those are the type things where I say uh, it's about having people in places that will make decisions that will at least think at some of the, think over some of the options. And um, uh, I, I cannot, within you know, uh, my mind right now, say no cell phones because that's communication outside of that school. And in many cases, uh, as we've seen recently, uh, uh, it's, a, it's a good thing. To have that communication, whether it's with the, the parents or law enforcement or outside that, that campus, but I, I think there's a way where that phone can not have all of the different distractions. Uh, yeah, and, uh, distractions, apps, or whatever you know. So, let me ask you um, one of the things that I've also found very concerning in in really probably the last two years, COVID. I think probably brought it on in the the whole you know, mass debate and everything like that. But it seems very clear that our schools, our public schools in particular, are now a battleground in the culture war. And that doesn't seem like it's going away anytime soon. And I think there's, a, like so many issues, I think there's a large amount of agreement between parents that, you know, look, we want to we wanna know what's being taught in the schools. We want to be able to voice input on what our children are learning. And we want to be able to express if we think that some topics are not age appropriate or whatever the case is, we want to be able to express that. And we, and we want to be able to express or have a societal debate on what things are the school's role to teach and what aren't. Um, you know, those are reasonable, I believe. But I think we've devolved on the fringes on, on both sides into this thing where, no, this is a war now. And our side wants everything and their side wants everything. And, you know, there's this, that's what is most important to overcome. And the politicization of public schooling, I don't think it bodes well for the future success of public schooling. Uh, What are your feelings on how politicized it's become and maybe how we can move away from that? Well, first thing, yes, uh, I've seen a lot. I, you know, I watch uh, uh, all of the uh, the different... uh, whether it's uh, a county commission, city council, or school board uh, uh, at, um, at home. So I, I see a lot of what's going on. Uh, I, I always welcome, and I've, uh, from day one, I, I believe in public participation in, in our government. Uh, however, uh, we have to have certain uh, parameters in place. Uh, and uh, uh, the, you invite the public comment, and you want to hear what uh, uh, everyone you know, has to, what they have to say. Uh, but we're living in uh, a world right now with so much uh, division, uh, and um, you have the, the buzzwords that are just, you know, you're talking about chiming out to the kids. Mm-hmm. You, you have buzzwords that are chimed out to adults uh, uh, through uh, different, um, uh, whether it be uh, apps or uh, news media or what have you. Uh, 
and uh, it sort of uh, you know builds put people in a certain um, uh, a certain mindset as far as uh, their beliefs and uh, uh, how aggressive they are uh, going uh, uh, to put their get their points across for their their beliefs. Uh, and uh, one thing I always believe is that um, it's um, sometimes it's, it's, it's a lot is uh, how you you say things, how mm-hmm. you get your point across. Uh, and uh, if we can, as a society, get our points across in a way that, um, hey, you, don't, uh, you may not agree with me, but uh, let's, uh, let's you know, look at these different points and different issues and uh, try to uh, allow this board to make a, a decision and we move forward. Uh, everything from misinformation, uh, we have to you know, be in uh, be in a place where you know a lot of that stuff can be debunked. Uh, you know, if it's if it's not if it's not true, let's let's not keep repeating ourselves. And you know, uh, it, it it builds up a lot of emotions. Uh, and when you get uh, uh, a built up emotion involved, then a, a lot of that uh, uh, involvement and public participation side of things, it, it kind of kind of goes in a different direction. Yeah, it feels like we used to be more about community conversations with a broad range of opinions, and now we've become more about two sides on every single issue. There's this narrative of bullet point, there's this narrative of bullet point, and that's it. And people's willingness to hear the other side or to move their opinion at all seems minimal. And, And boy, like I said, I just, I can't see any way in which that bodes well for public education and and the politics that are inherent to you know having representation in a democracy, right? I, I you know I, I think um, and well, I'm optimistic. I, I think that uh, a lot of this uh, will start going away, uh, and uh, I, that optimism uh, is uh, probably something that uh, I will take you know to the board. Uh, as you know, uh, we talked about my um, past service city council, but people uh, don't realize is, is that uh, I've, I've always, uh, I've served with uh, uh, people that have had uh, different ideologies. Uh, yeah, you have a lot of know. experience, I'll say, on the Bradenton City Council, <laughs> right. you were kind of an, an island in some ways, oh, yeah. uh, but you, you became very adept at learning how to build coalitions, exactly. learning how to and, barter support, and, and so and, forth. And that's that's pretty much what, what it's about. You, you have to try to... Um, work with uh, the individuals, and uh, I won't, you know, don't get into names, but, uh, you know, a lot of them, right now, today, they'll tell you, you know, yeah, we worked with uh, with uh, Councilman Bird, you know, and uh, uh, we were able to, you know, we disagreed, and uh, guess what, uh, we, you know, headed off to a conference or whatever, and we're, we're sitting down, you know, talking with each other. Uh, however, uh, I've never heard from my ideologies uh, that, that I have uh, within me. Uh, we tried to, you know, several, you know, instances uh, tried to push for, you know, uh, full and fair treatment across the board, uh, uh, you know, affordable housing, some of the issues that we might not have agreed upon, but I've tried to use the different arguments, uh, whether, the, whether, you know, it's persuasive arguments or, you know, just putting the facts out there and uh, trying to bring them to that, uh, to my uh, point of view. And guess what? If 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 uh, it didn't happen, uh, it wasn't anything that I'm just going to 
you know, uh, aggressively uh, uh, cause problems. Right. Or uh, I would expect uh, others that were on the, had the same ideologies I had to do the same. Mm-hmm. And uh, it seems as though we we're, we're trying to move in a different direction right now. And uh, uh, I'm optimistic in saying that this is uh, maybe short-lived and uh, we can move beyond it uh, for the good of government. I hope so, because one of the other disappointing trends that I've been noticing, particularly like, let's say, the county commission, is this mindset among uh, legislators that elections are this zero-sum game. And if you didn't vote for me, you don't agree with me, then I don't represent you, don't come to me. And that's not the way representative no, democracy no, no, has no. ever been designed I, to work. I, you know, I, I, I want to you know, uh, make a, a, a good comment on that. Uh, what people need to understand is that you're campaigning. And, yeah, you have supporters. You have, you know, uh, uh, these different ideologies, whether they support you or say, you know, I heard what you had to say and I'm not going to support you. That's the campaign. But when it comes down to government and what you don't have nowadays, you have people that would get out, they would campaign, and they would take that whole campaign to governing. Right. And that's the problem. That's the problem. When you go in and you govern, I'm going to, you know, govern. I did it for many years, whether whatever ideology. I won't get into, you know, well, political, you know, Republican, independent, or Democrat, whatever. I'm going to, I'm your councilman. I'm going to govern. All of them. yeah, and I I take the same same approach uh, as we look at the school district. Uh, hey, you know we may long long as we respect our different ideologies, and uh, you know as far as the governing, governing I'm gonna make the best decision for the kids in our schools and the school district in Manatee County, and that's the difference that you know people don't really, uh, maybe, well, they don't really understand it as well it's yeah like there's a difference in you know that campaign trail right and right going you know in and governing and uh, we had more that will see it that way i think we will have uh and it's it's not just local it's across the board mm-hmm. uh, i think we'll have uh, better government couldn't agree with you more and i don't think there's much more that voters can ask for than that kind of representation uh we'll wrap it up there this has been harold burden again thank you for joining us i really appreciate it harold And Harold is running for the District 2 Manatee County School Board race. And again, that will be on the August 23rd ballot. And that will be your first time to vote. And then the top two vote getters will go to a runoff on uh, the November ballot. But get out there. If you're in District 2, read up on it. We've got a race analysis for that race also in uh, today's edition. And cast your vote because this is... an area of your life, even if you don't have kids in the school district, you're paying school property taxes, and you're also benefiting as a community, as the economic engines, your businesses, if you own one or work for one, then they're, you know, leveraging that population to, you know, uh, drive our economy and so forth. So there really are few votes that you cast in public education, or excuse me, in local government that are more important than this one. So I encourage everybody to get out there. It's nonpartisan. So as long as you're in District 2, it will be on your ballot. And uh, as always, we encourage you to join all of our coverage at thebradingtodimes.com. Get informed, cast your vote, participate in democracy. And until next time, I'm Mitch Maley, and this has been the Bradington Times Podcast. (laughs) 